Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Those are fireworks. I gotta say, 2023, I don't like the ring of it. I don't love the ring of it. 2022 seemed fake. I kept thinking it was 2021. Mm. And then once June hit, I thought it was 2023. So it, I'm weird. not loving the this year number. Yeah, it feels like a in-between Z's. 24? Now that's a real that's round gonna be number. Crazy. I'm telling you, 2024 is going to be the new 2020. It is going to be a psycho year. But it's like... To me, I have the feeling I'm like, let's get fucking through this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like 2023, I don't care about it. Like, nothing's gonna happen. Or like, some. I'm saying, let's slow happen. it all down. It's going let's, too fast. Let's do 2022, maybe six more months. Yeah. Why not? Well, do you do you have a New Year's resolution? Um. It's no. okay if you don't. I don't. You don't. I don't. No. I didn't think of anything. <sighs> Mine is I'm going to lose 200 pounds. Interesting. Yes, I'm going to sh- I'm going to actually be sort of a negative weight in the world, mm. um, and sort of like a I'm picturing like the way I want to look by summer or like even by spring. I want to be just like a sphere in the air that sort of sucks, like has like has like a gravity to it, but like sucks like a black hole. Yeah, basically. you want to be a black hole. Yeah, I want to be a black hole. Um, so I have started taking a diabetes related drug. Um, to lose Ozempic. weight. Uh, fentanyl. By the way, I heard that there's a new diet drug coming out that is like makes Ozempic look like running a 5k like it is so fast and like people are like it is going to completely change everything Uh, more so than ozempic out there in miami ozempic was talk of the town yeah no everyone no one can stop talking about ozempic and and buckle fat okay is that how you say buckle buckle i never heard of this before last week buckle fat i only knew about it with the massage the french buckle massage is very famous however Here's what I'm going to say. All the Tumblrinas mm-hmm. are all saying, you know, buccal fat removal, that's an out. It's an out? Well, here's my thing. In, in an out list, I mean, you're not going to do any of that. None of that's no, – you know no, what you're no, going to do? It's just like direct-to-consumer trend spotting. You're going to look at your phone for the next year and then be like, oh, I should have done more with my life. That's what you're going to do this year. Don't give me – you're not going to like be like, eh, in dinner with friends – you're gonna, you're not gonna do that. Yeah, you're gonna think, order, you're gonna order takeout. And you're gonna sit there. And you're gonna watch a little fucking the Queen's Gambit. I think TikTok is gonna fall off. That's my. You just made. I I could tell by your tone of voice. You just came up with. You think TikTok's gonna fall off this no, year? No, I didn't just come up with that. I've been fucking thinking about that for like three weeks. Oh, how come you just say you saved it for the show? I don't know because we never talked about it. Also, you don't like when I make predictions. That's true. <laughs> That's because I think it's witchcraft. Mm. Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky in the podcast. It's called True Don. Hello. Hello. Um, we have quite the interview for you guys to start off the new year. Um, and I figured we would add a little context to it before we start because it's a little bit complicated. And as we learned from our 
Utah series. Uh, sometimes you need to constantly restate things so that people don't forget. Pretty, I feel like pretty easy to remember information. Um, but we we have with us today David Safran. A uh, he is I would call him a free. I guess I would call him an investigative journalist, freelance reporter. Um, and he's done a lot of work specifically around the disappearances or. Yeah, the disappearances, I guess I would say, of three kids uh, from Running Springs in California from the Sea-Doo facility. That's John Inman in 1993, Blake Pursley in 1994, and Daniel Ewan in 2004. Uh, Sea-Doo, for those of you who listen to our series The Game, uh, stood for, it's believed, Charles E. Diedrich University and was a youth school modeled directly after Synanon. Three children disappeared from there over a 10-year period, um, and none of them have ever been found. And David wrote an article about the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department's essential cover-up of the case, I would say. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the piece is called, Are Police Stifling the Investigation into Three Teens Who Vanished from a Controversial Residential Treatment Facility? And we're linking to the piece. We highly recommend you guys check it out before, during... And after the interview, um, and David, of course, um, you know, brings his own experience with Sidu to his investigation, and so we talk about all of those things um, in this interview, which is coming up now. Ladies and gentlemen, happy new year. We are back with a bang and we have with us today David Safran, a freelance journalist and local rock and roll musician from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, he's written under the name Medium Anonymous. I have been reading his work for a long time. He has helped us out on this show and we finally have him on to talk about well a variety of things, but for those of you who remember our uh, five-part miniseries, The Game, that came out. I mean, you would have to remember because that was literally like a month and a half ago. Um, uh, David helped out with that, and he also uh, he also has written quite a lot about these schools. He attended one himself, and we have uh, we have him on to talk about quite a few things today. Uh, David, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is great. So uh, just let's just jump right into it. Um, a little bit of background. You went to SEDU, which is really related to the school that I went to as well, and which itself came out of Synanon. But would you be able to give us a little context to what SEDU is? Because just to situate us and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to take about 12 hours to, to no kind of dissect, dissect SEDU. Uh, well, I, it was primarily it was functioning for decades as a sort of a rehab a uh, commune hybrid, um, mm-hmm. an artificial society. Uh, it was f- for the first three decades, really, it was, it was, uh, based in Southern California and it stayed there for, for most of its, you know, uh, its existence, but it developed also into Idaho too, which I think is kind of where Monarch emerged where, out of, you know, that, that kind picture, of the, yeah. the Sandpoint abyss that Northern Idaho culture. Um, I was, I was at the, in the mothership, you know, in running, running Springs, California. Uh, that was CDU HQ. Um, f- pretty much 
since, you know, since, since the really, I think they, they moved to running Springs to the mountains in the mm-hmm. late sixties. But at that point it was, you know, before then it was really in, um, Riverside County and also Palm Springs. Uh, and it was sort of scattered about, um, functioning under the radar, mostly as a nonprofit, um, trying to lure in adolescents, but they, you know, they had members that were, you know, the ages ranged from 12 to like 40, uh, and eventually they, they, they changed from a nonprofit to a for-profit. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were licensed in 92 as uh, a group home, which um, changed pretty much everything for, for CDU, uh, especially in California when it became a group home. Um, of course, they, they didn't advertise that it was a group home. They called it a school. Uh, although... You know, it, whether whether it was, it was an actual school is, yeah, is yeah. very debatable. That was just like a marketing hook. Although they, I think they believe that they were offering an alternative education. Certainly, you know, Dan Earl would say that. When you say that everything changed when it uh, reclassified itself as a group home, what do you mean exactly? Um, I know a number of things. One, they they opened themselves up to uh, to they had to get licensed through the California department of social services. Mm. So, and their, their community care licensing division, particularly. So when they, when they, they were at, at for, you know, three decades, they were operating in this kind of gray nonprofit rehab world. So mm-hmm. they, they did, there wasn't a lot of state scrutiny. Uh, so in 92, when they changed the license, which was in part, uh, you know, for profit because they could then open up a middle school, and they right. could they could enroll. I think they're under their license. They were allowed to bring in kids as young as nine and a half. Uh, wow. So for them, it was a financial thing. But unfortunately, their ways of um, operating they weren't they weren't accustomed to having like licensing analysts making uh, last minute inspections. Yeah. So then that became a, a different issue for them as they opened themselves up to being regulated, really. Uh, because what, you know, when everyone talks about the troubled teen, teen industry, you, you very often hear that this is an unregulated industry. Right. Uh, in Cedar's case, from 92 to 2005, at least, that wasn't the case at all. They were being like vigorously inspected um, and abuses were noted all the time. Um, and yet it remained open. <laughs> it remained open. And that was the thing that, you know, when I was doing my initial investigation, the thing that really shocked me the most, because mm-hmm. I, I assumed that, you know, they were, they were just still operating under the radar and getting away with their violations. And then I said, wait a sec, they're getting type A citations left and right. You know, mm-hmm. things that would uh, revoke or suspend a license, you know, and they were just kind of flagrantly beating it, you know, well, every time. It, it really reminds me because, I mean, for, for those of you who remember, I think it's it's episode three and episode four where we talk about Sidhu in the in the game series. Um, you know, Sidhu does come out of Synanon and Synanon had, especially in its early years, a, a sort of running battle with regulators of basically every stripe. I mean, from, yeah. from city planning commissions to the police uh, to health department or Cal, you know, California department of health. Um, 
and uh, sort of found themselves uh, bouncing from place to place until they could get it basically as secluded as they could while still being able to sort of leech off a major metropolitan area yeah. uh, up in the North Bay. And, you know, it's funny because Sidhu, which which to me always is sort of like the main youth uh, sort of out, outgrowth of, of Synanon. I mean, yeah. you know, Mel Wasserman, the founder um, – had some kind of relationship with Synanon. It doesn't seem like he was a drug addict or anything, but you know, he had, he had certainly ta- gone there and, and learned some things. And then, then they added Bill Lane, like a long time um, yeah. Synanon guy who basically designed the program. Um, but you know, CDU sort of runs a similar path in, in, in at first they open up in Palm Springs and they have these sort of like, or like, you know, Riverside Palm Springs sort of desert California. And then they move up to this really secluded area uh, in the San Bernardino mountains. And I'm actually, you know, I'm from California. I've actually not spent a lot of time in that part of California. Um, you're lucky. you know, Liz and I have talked about this before, but I'm freaked out by two kinds of folk. One yeah. of which is river folk and the other, which is mountain, mountain folk. folk. Yeah. And, and they're so, a related type of folk. They're, they, that's they're like cousins. The, they're cousin folk folk cousins. Yeah. 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 Um, what about if you have a river, river folk or rivers in the mountain? Uh, Which is, I, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, a dangerous that, combination. That's sort of running springs. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And so so you, uh, so I mean, they, they they move there and then they open up and it seems like almost they, they, they decide to go somewhere more secluded for all of their other um, schools that they open, which would be Idaho. But yeah. you went to the Running Springs campus. You actually went to CDU yourself. Um, I did, yeah. What, what, what? Can you tell me about that? What's the circumstances? I, I want to talk about that. I want to go. I want to back up though, because I, I it, yes, Synanon also was. I mean, investigated all the time. Totally. Yeah. Yes. So was CDU though, in its own way, when it first opened, to the point where CDU was getting worse um, media coverage than Synanon. In like really? the mid to late sixties, yeah, they, and they were forced to move to Running Springs because there was a raid, um, and there was you know headline after headline uh, allegations of orgies and brainwashing and bad food. The uh, the community they were in in Riverside County despised the CDU program. They mm-hmm. thought um, it was, and this wasn't like a get off my lawn incompatibility. I mean. There were a lot of investigative civilians and very, very concerned parents that were seeing their kids drop out and go to these sensitivity sessions at, you know, in, in the CDU family. They were called a family back then. It was, and Mel Wasserman considered himself the father. Sort His of wife bad is the connotations mother. with the Manson stuff there. Exactly. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, it, and it, there was so, there was so many uh, allegations of the sex orgy thing that uh, – uh, like early members had to go on a local TV program or radio program or something to defend themselves and mm. say, you know, this is not, we don't just have orgies here. You know, that's, we're doing more than that. Yeah. Not just. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those, <laughs> so, those had, those had significantly faded into the background by, by my tenure. In- uh, yeah. Yeah. But what's so weird about all this is that all the negative coverage, the raid, the uh, you know, I mean, it was a health department thing too, the raid that they were, you know, they got in by saying, you know, they weren't up to code, their, mm-hmm. their ranch compound. Um, and, and, you know, but they also brought the portable crime lab with them. I mean, it was a real, obviously mid to late sixties, Southern California, there's a cult on every corner. I mean, but, but this was a particularly insidious one. 
I think one, some of the parents were, you know, they're organizing campaigns to shut it down. They were trying to eradicate it and they, they referred to CD as a plague. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, why then cut 30 years later, you know, parents were, were like enthusiastically sending their children to this place. Like how yeah. come they didn't go to their public library and look at all the, the old articles or, I mean, how did, how did this get missed uh, if it was so apparent? Well, well how, how did it? Yeah. How did that transformation happen? I mean, that's an excellent question. I don't know if that can be answered easily. I don't know if I can answer that. Um, mm. I certainly think that CD was excellent at um, marketing and mm-hmm. changing and changing language. Uh, Mel Wasserman was, I guess in a way, I, you know, I, I think, Grace and I have heard this a lot about, you know, this kind of this, the idea of the Synanon spinoff. But for me, I think of Mel Wasserman as sort of the Ray Kroc of Synanon, where he he took he didn't just take like the duplicatable bits and like bring bring it out into you know yeah. the mainstream. He really took Synanon and he he made it um, safe and digestible, sort of. Yeah. Um, and. Um, he was bringing in all the key players and he wasn't getting pushback. You know, uh, Chuck wasn't, uh, Chuck Dietrich wasn't, um, trying to have him killed or anything like that. I mean, it was a real brotherly sibling kind of relationship from my understanding. Well, that's Um, what's sort of so fascinating about it because, um, you know, with Synanon, Synanon had, uh, Similar to to Sidhu, uh, a lot of people who left early, you know, splitties, mm. they'd call them. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Chuck hated them. I mean, he despised every he single did. one of them. Yeah. And a, a lot of those guys left and started their own or started working at other rehabs, which did try to do like the Ray Kroc. Um, you know, they they tried to basically mass market Synanon, like, yeah. you know, Daytop here. I mean, just all over the country. These guys would, would yeah. take what they had learned at Synanon and open up their own places and you know, Chuck would rage about mm-hmm. them, uh, yeah. you know, publicly and privately. And what's so what's so notable about Synanon is, or excuse me, about Sidhu's relationship with Synanon is that Sidhu basically did a similar thing where they where they took large swaths of, of the Synanon program and and under a completely different, uh, you know, uh, leadership structure, you know, Chuck, they, they were not paying Chuck Diedrich, yeah. uh, you know, marketed this thing. Um, yeah. and, and Chuck, I can't find any negative relationship about them or any private correspondence that Chuck sent, you know, talking shit about CDU or anything like that. And, and CDU took prominent members like Bill Lane from Synanon yeah. and had him there designing the program, which was really just, again, you know, large, largely Synanon. Yeah. Uh, and it's so strange because it really is only so like, it's like basically the only, really official successor that you will find. And it's hard to call it a successor because, you know, it, it started during Synanon's, um, sort of the waning parts of Synanon's heyday, late heyday for Synanon. Was it, I don't think it was waning though. I mean, in, I, in six, 1966, 67, yeah. it, was, it was really, you know, and, and they were also, you know, Mel was really leaning into Hollywood too. He was, he was seeing that you could kind of lure celebrities and, and you see this too. I mean, there was like a charity baseball game with, the monkeys and Alice Cooper, yep. you know, I cannot Albert believe Brooks. Alice Cooper did that. Yeah. I, I had heard, um, I'd heard a rumor from someone who was there that Alice Cooper then, you know, played a little concert, uh, 
at Sidhu in the in the main lodge. His music was, you know, out of agreement. You weren't actually allowed to hear it. But here he was anyway doing a concert. And he was drunk from what I was told in a rehab. I mean, at that point, it was not like this emotional growth or sensitive yeah. kids with depression. It was like a, you know, just a cutthroat rehabilitation center. And he's drunk. Uh, that's just gossip. Who knows if that's true? But, you know, that's, uh, that's what you I know, heard. It's funny you, you say that because, you know, the, 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 the thing about it being a rehab and then sort of later becoming a, uh, a place for both kids who have maybe issues with addiction, but also for kids who just have like depression or some, yeah. some sort of vague psychological, um, you know, category that they're put in. Uh, you know, that, that I think is the real transformation of both CDU and the industry as a whole coming from this, um, 1960s like fear of juvenile delinquency or fear of like everybody falling into drugs to really this like 1990s like my kid has um, unfortunately he has ADD and anxiety and we need to put him in this program which is going to exacerbate both of those things but hopefully by the end uh, he'll be cured by that Um, you know to me it seems like CDU and the industry as a whole really adapted to change with the um I guess the popular uh, the popular struggles in parenting. I don't know how to how to put mm-hmm. that, but like the 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 popular sort of psychological or like juvenile issues of the day, which yeah. really did transform from being primarily about drugs and like teen rebellion to being about um, you know depression or, or or mental issues, but also you know drugs as well. But I think drugs really seen as like an out. That's how they were really treated at 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 Monarch as an outgrowth of of psychological issues. Yeah. Well, I think what happened was, um, and again, it's so hard to distill this, but I, from my understanding, the, the major change, uh, especially with CDU, And I think Mel Wasserman is viewed at least within this kind of smaller industry as having revolutionized, um, a kind of alternative education that, became acceptable. So uh, th- what they did was they, they blobified into like special education. Yeah. Uh, right. so, uh, the thing that I, th- I mean, I think about this all the time. Uh, Bill Lane was running a transport uh, agency while he actually started while he was at CDU, he started escorting kids from one CDU program to another. And then mm-hmm. transport became this, this huge, huge, uh, like like subcategory of the so-called troubled teen industry. It was mainstream enough, though, for his transport company to have a vendor's table at a very dry special ed academic conference um, that was put on by the state here in Illinois. I mean, Illinois really propped up um, the troubled teen industry and has for decades. You can... Uh, you know, the, it's some of these programs are, you know, if you send your kid out of state, it's at the taxpayer's expense, which is, really? uh, yeah, it's really overlooked. Um, and it's, it, it, I think every state has some variation of this, but if your kid, you know, has an IEP and you're not satisfied with public school, you can talk about other placements um, and you can get the state to pay for residential treatment out of state. Um I worked on a, 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 a big re- report that came out a couple of years ago and uh, out of, it was NPR, Illinois, 
mm-hmm. and I was the source for that. Um, and I did an interview too. Uh, and it, it really, the, it, I wish it had gotten more attention because, you know, once, once regular folk realize that this is that they're paying for this bullshit, you know, you think that maybe there would be an end to it, but, but there hasn't really been, I mean, the pandemic changed, uh, enrollments, but it's still a business. And, you know, so I, I, my point here is that, um, you're up against an alien invasion, except like the aliens are all quoting John Dewey. And that's kind of where we're at now. It's like, they are within special ed and special ed's a broad category. So, your kid may have depression, but he could be receiving special education treatment for it. And if that isn't working in your, you know, in your public school, well, then maybe there's a place for, you know, a therapy camp or whatever. This nice little place in Utah or whatever, yeah. or Northern Idaho. So it really, a lot of things haven't changed um, since I was there, since you were there. Well, let's get into that because I think we've been kind of circling around this. I mean, at the heart of all of your investigations and journalistic work uh, into this industry, including the piece in LA Magazine, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, is your own experience at one of these facilities. And I'm wondering if you can, if you don't mind just talking a little bit about that and, um, you know, how that kind of informed your work today. Yeah, I mean... um I was um, shipped off. I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shipped off in January. I guess it was, you know, this is January. Um, yeah. Not, not, not that long, you know, in some ways. Um, but yeah, I was shipped off in January of 99. Um, and I, I did not do the full two-year term. I was pulled and I went right back to public high school. Um, so I was at CDU for about, I think it was like 15 or 16 months, which is still yeah, a long time. That is a long time. Um, so, I, I mean, my, my, my enrollment, um, I don't want to kind of go on too much of a digression, but um, it, th- there was a family uh, in Chicagoland. They're, they're called the Swibles. Influential family, uh, Howard Swibel and Cheryl Swibel. And they were running a uh, foundation, the Friends of Sea-Doo Foundation. Uh, massively influential uh, in recruiting uh, mm-hmm. kids. And m- more important, they were, uh, I mean, they were really proselytizing the Sea-Doo education. And it was very, it was, a, it was such a, um, a hard sell. Howard Swibel to my family that my dad still remembers it. He remembers it more than, you know, actually like sending me off. It was, you know, it was this, the Swibel family, um, are notorious, uh, and a very political family. Uh, Howard Swibel's dad was the chairman of the Chicago housing authority. Oh God. Long tenured. Um, I mean, the Swibels kind of created, uh, modern Chicago. Um, and, um, I think my family was enamored with the Swibles, particularly my father. They were kind of in this rarefied dinner jacketed world, not where my, you know, my mom's an elementary school teacher and my dad, um, he was selling seasonal products. I mean, he he wasn't, you know, this wasn't, uh, uh, that much of an affluent background. 
we were doing okay, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the swivels. Yeah. Um, and they were, the swivels were, um, brilliant at selling this idea of family reunification, uh, that you need to like go out of state to get close with your family. Yeah. And they were, they had a profound uh, impact on, um, this idea of like the CDU parent, um, Mm. education, which was this other component that was far more successful. So I, I think, um, my own parents were concerned with my behavior at the time. I was getting more depressed. I was loaded up on antidepressants, which I thought were, were ugly and insidious and I wanted off of, Mm -hmm. I thought they were causing more problems than, um, than needed, but my parents were worried nonetheless. And they weren't looking for, um, residential treatment. It's not like they were wanted to send me anywhere out of, out of state. CD was the only place they had heard of the only place they looked at. And even then they thought it was a giant leap, um, to like send this freshman in high school who's kind of moody and, uh, spiky and defiant a little bit, not, not, Terribly, but also getting really good grades. I mean, I was, I wasn't like, um, truant or any of that. So what happened was, you know, um, by pure unluck, the Swibles were my aunt and uncle's neighbor and I'm not close with my aunt and uncle. My parents weren't particularly close with my aunt and uncle. Um, uh, they make, um, let's put this into context. My aunt and uncle, they, they make like, um, like Roger Ailes seem like Studs Terkel. I mean, <laughs> good God, <laughs> they're 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 far right. I'm estranged yes. from them. You know, my parents are basically estranged from them too. Yeah, yeah. But they yeah. were very. But my aunt uncle, uh, aunt and uncle far right, were really close with um, with the Swibles, and and the Swibles just kind of volunteered to show up at uh, my parents' house mm. with this oh, wow. with this pitch for Cedu, and they had heard of it, and it was a a therapist that I was seeing who who also you know, loved Sidhu, he's this old hippie therapist, this deadhead who had great success sending other kids to Sidhu and happened to have a VHS and a brochure, you know, it was this kind ah, of, but he also, but he was also really close with the Swibles and, mm. you know, it was all this real kind of web of bullshit um, that I, I sort of saw through, uh, but my parents couldn't. And it was really the Swibles pitch at reunification at, uh, my, my dad called Howard Swibel a messiah of hope. Um, and all of it was bullshit, all of it. And I'm actually quite close with um, the son that they were using, uh, the son that went to CDU. He did do the full term. Um, and they used him in all of their marketing. They said that, you know, if it weren't for, they named him, you know, he was just part of their story for the Friends of CDU Foundation. Which was also founded by no, no. They founded Howard, Howard and Cheryl, but they then brought in a guy named Joel Horowitz, who was, um, you know, part of the. I think it was Tommy Hilfiger or something like. We should fact oh, check wow. that. But he was yeah, part of yeah. that kind of branding machine. Mm, you know, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I mean, later on, there. I mean, their their own kid was referring to CDU as an institutionalized cult. That was his phrase. But his parents were using his story as a success story. He was the poster boy 
for CDU, for the Friends of CDU Foundation. Um, and they were hiring up a lot of ex-Synodon people for yeah. the foundation. And they changed their name to the Friends and Families of Children in Crisis mm-hmm. after CDU kind of closed down. And they did the same thing, but across the entire industry. It's, you know, it's... Um... It's funny, like that 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 same pitch I think is used on so many different parents by so many different, you know, whether it's individual educational consultants or therapists or something like this. But like mm-hmm. we, it, it's essentially this promise for for family reunification. But the sort of implication there is that like, well, you're the parents, like you guys are kind of already there, <laughs> yeah. but like your kid yeah. Is, yeah, is, yeah. is is missing, and like, yeah. you know, we'll 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 take them away, um, fix them up, and then you know, you're, you're, you'll start to visit them and you'll see these changes and they'll come back to you as your old son that you remember from when, you know, they were a little eight year old boy or something. Yeah. It's, you know, um, you know, I know there's some problems with that, that I can't remember her first name, but, uh, the, the book by, uh, Slavitz, uh, help. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 But, but one of the things that I remember Maya. when I first, Maya, um, one of the things I remember when I first, first read it, uh, it stuck out to me and that seems so simple and obviously true was that like, you know, a lot of kids are kind of fucked up when they're 13 or 14. And then, yeah. you know what happens? They grow up, you know, a couple of years go by and they get yeah. things like, you know, and sometimes it's not very fun and sometimes it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, it's, it's a painful process, but like, um, you know, if your kid has some depression by the time they're 14, there's a there's a large uh, area between that and then sending them to what is essentially like a um, a group home, yeah. you know. Uh, and, and so you you know I'm 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 familiar with your story, but you know you were you were you were sent away and you you know you were not transported there. I was you, not. You you had the. Uh, I can't actually, it sounds almost more traumatized than we dropped off by your family because yeah. at least I had some stranger to hate. Um, you know, what were your initial reactions to, to, to see do? Because to, I mean, in, in my memory, I, I know I had no familiarity with this kind of stuff. I mean, I had right. been to wilderness and so I had, I had sort of like heard rumors and sort of heard, you know, heard these, heard these sort of tall, t- what I thought were tall tales from people. But then to be thrust into this world that is, you know, uh, you know, first of all, totally uh, rural, mm-hmm. and then second of all, just filled with really obscure sort of '60s lingo um, and all these sort of strange esoteric practices. Uh, you know, for me, it was a it was a huge shock, and I was it was mm-hmm. almost like I remember thinking like everybody here must be insane except for me because I seem like I'm the only person who realizes the absurdity of all of this. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what, what was what was your reaction to? to I was a startled program? contactee. I was like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like you know, I also, I mean, what was your move in process like? Because. I mean, for me, it was, you know, you're photographed, you get a cavity search, you know, take away all your civilian clothes. I mean, so, I mean, I was like this nice suburban kid that had never really, you know, I I had no context for what was happening. Uh, And then I couldn't get a phone call out, you know, like after all that happened, I was like, oh, wait, this is a mistake. Let me call my dad. He's still on the mountain. You know, if I can just call the motel. And he could pick me up and then that's it. And they wouldn't let me make a call. So it was just like, yeah, you know, no, I mean, that, that was, that was, 
I, I had not at that point after wilderness, I was like, there's, there's, it's going to be pretty restricted communication here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was sort of shocked. I remember when they told us, cause we, I mean, I, I can't tell you, we had the exact same program basically yeah. as you guys. Yeah. And so it was the same thing. I mean, I think you guys were allowed one 15 minute phone call every two weeks. Yep. That's what we got as well. And yeah. I, we did it. Um, uh, the person who sat next to me during that was the son of a director of a CDU school. Um, and uh, they were ready to essentially pull the plug on a call if you started to talk about um, yeah. your problems with the program. Uh, you know, I, I, for me, I remember my parents, I mean, and the staff told us this, like we've told your parents that you're going to lie to them and manipulate them. And so to take any negative words that you say with that context, um, and we're going to let you say as few of those negative words as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I remember just feeling really trapped and trying to think of like a way to get around that. Like I was like, well, okay. Like I know that like they've taken all these safeguards to where whatever I say that's bad about the program will not be believed. And so I have to somehow communicate that. But, you know, I actually never... I mean, I eventually changed changed tact when I realized like I, I actually had a plan to run away. And so I was like, I, I actually I, I became very positive about the program in order to get a home visit so I could make my escape. But um, it was I remember trying to figure out how to get around that. And I, and I couldn't. And there's sort of this feeling of like trapped desperation, because even though you get these phone calls with your parents, you are, are essentially forced to be dishonest. Yeah. Um, and and communicate something that's not actually true. Absolutely correct. I can't. Yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, I, I think. Um, I mean, for for me, I, I it took about six months, a good mm-hmm. six months of um, trying every conceivable way to get out. Yeah. Um, every embarrassing thing I could think of. Um, I just destroyed myself really for six months trying to leave. And then I realized I am going to, because, you know, one of the kind of therapeutic techniques, shall we say, was, Mm -hmm. you know, forced confession and also lots of disclosure and storytelling. You're always telling your story over and over and over. So you have all these disclosures swirling around like everyone's dirt lists, you know, you knew everything. What that also meant is I could ape other kids and then I could eventually figure out who is the one that has the most, you know, the most privileges and how can I just become that person? And maybe if I just, you know, appear to be doing the program, I will get more uh, time with my parents more off-campus visits. I can actually leave home, you know, I mean, not the, I mean, go return home, you know, have yeah. these kind of, uh, these two day, you know, where you fly back home. Yeah. And I did that. So I became, I became a dorm head. I was doing, uh, I was giving campus tours cause you know, all the tours had to be done by kids. Uh, we were, we were selling the place. We were doing all the groundskeeping. We we're doing all the selling of it as well. It, it's funny. I, in your, in your, I think it's in the medium anonymous or in the running my anger piece yeah. that you wrote. Um, you describe yourself as like a California real estate agent. Yeah. That's that's kind of how you felt. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's funny. Cause my mom, that's what she remembers. She, she went, she took a tour as well. And 
on her on her own and she came back and what she remembered was that it looked pretty you know like yeah that's the takeaway that's the takeaway um, from all of these places yeah yeah it, it looked woods. pretty so yeah that's right there's there's rivers and there's mountains you know your mm-hmm. favorite your favorite so um you know like uh i i guess it was what i'm saying is i, I looked at the counselors and i stopped seeing them as like the prison guards i looked at my parents and they were the ones that i needed to appeal to um and once I figured that out, I was, you know, I was pulled not long after. So, I mean, yeah. it took a while um, of just being totally stupid and defiant. Um, I mean, I was always out of agreement in my own way, you know. Um, well, we should, we, should, we should explain to the audience, um, you know, agreements were what they called rules, yeah. Which is a really I remember even at the time, I was not the most perceptive 13, 14 year old in the world. And frankly, I'm not the most perceptive 33 year old in the world. <laughs> but I do remember at the time being like, wow, by calling rules agreements, um, you know, obvi- the obvious implication there is that like we're all agreeing to this. And yeah. I remember these sort of like childish, defiant arguments that I have. I well, well, I don't agree with this. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, okay, you don't agree with this. Then here's your punishment. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. that's a that's a you're describing a rule. Yeah. Like an agreement is, as far as my little you know teenage head was concerned, something that two people maybe mutually came to an understanding on and agreed upon. Instead, this was a list of rules foisted on you, like they would be in any any kind of institution. Um, And being out of agreement at Monarch at least could mean anything from um, digging stumps, which was my most common punishment. I Mm -hmm. I dug out a lot of stumps, uh, including in the winter. In fact, for all of the winter, uh, I dug out stumps. Um, Or to, to, you know, having basically what I guess you would call KP duty, um, you know, kitchen, kitchen duty to, To whatever else to, and then eventually getting up to, and this happened to me a couple of times, being on bands from people and not being able to speak to to either certain groups of people or to anybody at all. They called it bands there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got yeah, yeah. Which is it's funny because they really did not update the lingo from from C <laughs> for Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah. So you have a line in your piece in LA Magazine. You say, in 2015, the 10-year anniversary of Sidhu's closure in Running Springs, I realized I'd become more curious than haunted. Yeah. And this that line really stuck with me when I was reading this piece. Um, that's such an interesting juxtaposition, like curious and haunted. And I think that, you know, our, our series on Synanon and Brace's experience, um, which dovetails obviously as you guys are, you know, illustrating so much with yours, I think kind of walks the line between both, you know, curiosity and and a haunting. And then and there's a way in which I think dealing with these experiences, you're sort of, you know, these like traumatic moments, you're sort of presented with that, not as like a fork, right? But that there's mm-hmm. these sort of two um you know, pulls you can feel within yourself, right? Yeah. And I'm, and I guess I'm curious, um, you know, what you, what, what was really pulling you? What, what the kind of curiosity there was pulling you versus a kind of feeling kind of haunted by this experience? Well, when I returned um, from CDU and I went right back into public school, mm-hmm. I was leaving CDU because I was pulled, I was basically shunned from yeah. the family, you know, the CDU family. 
my peers. I mean, I had friends there. Um, but even then, I mean, it was what I was doing something, I was doing the worst thing you could possibly do because the, because, you know, CDU considered itself, you know, not just a business, but also this, you know, it was, it was a cult. I mean, Same. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, yeah. you know, my, my parents were getting it at their end as well. Um, just this kind of, uh, brutal, arrogant, indifferent attitude towards pulling and that it, not, it wouldn't just like break apart the family, but you know, then they're going to wash the, you know, the CD world's going to wash their hands of all the saffrons, you know, you don't exist. Mm-hmm. And that was a really helpful coping mechanism for me when I returned, because if they didn't find me authentic, then I can say it never happened. So I, I cut this out of my life completely. Uh, and I, I mean, my, my, my normal friends, you know, when I return is they, they barely ask questions anyway, because, you know, they're dopey high school kids, but I could, you know, I could lie and say, you know, I was, well, I was testing a private school, you know, for a year and a half, yeah. you know, and wherever, you know, um, and no one really asked questions and my parents weren't pressing me at all. I mean, I was having serious nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was also trying to get off the meds that I'd been on for three years or four years. Um, so that was my, my motivation was to have as normal a life as possible to return to the life I had previously had and to get off these dumb fucking meds. That was it. So I, I cut it out for 15 years and it was a really, I didn't, I mean, I, I, you can't really return to therapy in my case, at least, you know, I mean, I was, I went to a place that was trying every possible bullshit self-help. So I'm not going to be affected by normal therapy anyway. So, and I don't, yeah. I, you know, you can't do the thing that triggers you. So yeah. I, I avoided it. Um, yeah. I still avoid it. I'm, it's just not for me. Um, what I want to do is have a life and experiences outside of this world and, um, and read a lot and make music and, you know, whatever, be as debauched as I could, but in a healthy way. So, um, and, and basically to do every, to have a life that would be everything CD was against. Yeah. Just, just proudly, um, flaunt what they consider destructive and prove that it's not. Um, so I did that for 15 years. I always expected because CD was so influential, this was the thing, you know, this was, you know, the, the foundation of an entire industry and it, its tentacles were everywhere. So I always expected media to do something, especially on a 10th anniversary of its closure, at least in California. I mean, it's still operating yeah. in Idaho and it never happened. And I, so, and I also kept trying to find, you know, I kept this a secret. I finally told my girlfriend it was a, I couldn't, I, I was in love. I couldn't drag this thing around anymore. I had to tell her I didn't have the language for it. Yeah. So then I started looking around and the language wasn't there either. There was no comprehensive mm. summing up of the thing. So then I said, all right, I, I got to do this. That's my curiosity. It's like, how, how come this hasn't occurred? So I, I tried and then I thought I could get a lot of help from, from editors. And I was, you know, it took three years to write this dumb thing because 
it, not because it took three years of me just like, you know, I was doing a sentence a week. It was yeah, because yeah. I was, you know, uh, well, one, I mean, you, you know this, you know, you have to, if you're putting in like records requests, you expect something in three weeks and then it arrives like eight months later. Yeah. Or but I was also sending drafts on spec to editors thinking naively, like someone was going to run this. Someone's going to really want to do a comprehensive retrospective on the thing. And there was some interest, but it was more like I'm, I kept pitching and repitching and banging my head against the wall with editors in the media. They just didn't want to do this. So finally I'd had it three years of doing an independent thing. You know, this, this, I'm just like, and waiting for, you know, the guardian to come forward or, or someone mm-hmm. to just be like, you know, we're the, 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 I, there were two reasons for rejection that I heard over and over and over. And one was it was too, it, you can't do a first person investigation that it doesn't work. You're too close yeah. to it. And the other was, we don't want to get sued because CD may not be in existence anymore, but this is a very litigious, you know, community and we know it and we can't afford, you know, our, our outlet can't afford some kind of frivolous lawsuit, yeah. especially if it's a freelancer's work. So I was hearing these things over and over. And I said, fuck this. I'm going to just put it up on medium and I'm going to do it anonymously, not because I care about being sued necessarily, but because I don't want this story to be about me. Yeah. I want to use my story to underscore, you know, or push back on some kind of claim that I know isn't true. But beyond that, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did it, you know. Well, you were able to use kind of your, you know, I guess it's three years work into like investigating into CDU. You were able to kind of use that, not as a jumping off point or, or I mean, that that makes its way really into like the hands of actual investigators, police investigators. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, I mean, that, well, you mean the, the actual investigation that I was consulting on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, because so... I mean, for those to, to put this in a little more context, um, you're talking about the the running my anger piece. That's like yeah, that was really the piece. Comp- it was medium and anonymous. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, mean, it was joke. Medium and anonymous is a joke. I mean, it was because I'm posting on medium and anonymous. anonymous. <laughs> Just to put that into context for me, that was the first piece that I had read as somebody who went to one of these schools. Who somebody who went to a school that was almost exactly the same as your school. Um, that was the first thing that I had ever encountered. Uh, that was like, oh, this is my experience. Like this was this, this, that, that really, that piece just for me actually really helped me to give me the language to like think about this stuff because I had the same experience coming home and like not, I mean, I ran away and sort of, um, I had, you know, long, we, we talked about that in, in a previous, for listeners, we talked about that in a previous episode called Brat Camp that was not part of the game series, but, um, that was, uh. I, I tried not to think about it for a really long time, uh, and then it, it it you know came up and it came up and it came up, and I finally read that piece and I was like, this is, this is the language. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm you, so glad. You, I mean, that really you know that makes me very happy because that's what I wanted. You know, like these kids to to read this and just instead of having a conversation with parents, they could just like send the link and say, yeah, you you yes. read this and then we'll talk. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, you know, but like Liz said, that that actually ended up in the hands of um of a deputy at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department. Um, detective. Detective, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and 
Well, that that deserves a little bit of unpacking. First of all, why would a detective at the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department in 2021 be looking up CDU at all? A school that closed it at Running Springs, at least in 2005. Um, yeah, I mean the 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 short answer is that there are three missing persons cases um, still open, never solved, that uh, occurred on campus. Three kids, all boys. 93, 94, and 2004, and they've never properly been investigated at all. So a new detective, new, uh, newly promoted detective uh, named Alicia Rosa uh, was assigned to the Twin Peaks Station, which is the, you know, the small... The Twin Peaks Station. Yes, the aptly Come named on, Twin Peaks Station. Um in Twin Peaks, you know, it's in the San Bernardino Mountains. It's one of yeah. the many small mountain communities that make up that particular area. Uh, but it's part of the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. So she she looked, she was basically what she was doing is she was going through all the missing persons accounts in the region. And then she was kind of shocked to see there was three that occurred on the, in the same location, which is rare. So she she revived them. It's not like she reopened these cases. Like they were open. They just were inactive. Um, and then she started looking up CDU. And uh, she she found my article and she found my work credible. Uh, I mean, I've done other things besides yeah. that that article. And she asked me to consult on her investigation. Um, that was November 2021. And uh, not long after uh, her investigation shut down somehow by her superiors. Um, and, uh, you know, to date, there's a giant question mark about whether that investigation is even happening. Um, it was taken up by homicide cold case unjustifiably. Uh, the, the detective is, is not permitted to, to work these, to assist on her own, you know, cases essentially. Um, there's a lot of questions swirling about how the Twin Peaks station handled or mishandled these cases and CDU in general. I mean, the, the numbers, they, they knew all the dark doings that were happening, yeah, you know, yeah. inside CDU for decades. Um, basic stuff like, you know, call logs even tell a story of how they flagrantly ignored um, runaways. AWOLs. I mean, the numbers are extraordinary. Um, the calls they were getting, uh, rather, what I'm saying is, you know, they're getting hundreds and hundreds of calls about runaways and they were I, not investigating. They were not searching. They were not doing area checks, just completely washing their hands of, of anything having to do with this place for a number of reasons. Yeah. What do you think those reasons are? Um, uh, well, I think one one has to do with just, you know, CDU, the area was, a, you know, sort of a company town. I mean, CDU yeah. employed everyone. The town doctor was also the medical director for CDU. His wife was, you know, like it's spouses were working in this place. It was a no, real. No, this is exactly how it was at Monarch in the yeah, town, in the little yeah, town yeah. that we were. And exactly how it is, in, you know, when you were in Sandpoint, I mean, it was this, you were in. Sea-Doo country. I mean, that's, that is Sea-Doo country through and through. I mean, yeah. they were at one point the biggest employer in Bonner County. That's right. Yeah. And it was the same thing with, uh, 
you know, and I think it was like, you know, Lake Arrowhead skiing and Sea-Doo. And that was like, yeah. those were your, you know, it was a, such an economic hub for, for that particular area. Um, and they were, Sea-Doo, oh man. I mean, I think at a certain point they realized that putting a snake in the mailbox is not going to be uh, successful. You need like a cease and desist. Yeah. So they started really, I mean, they, they would sue detectives who were mm. um, not just detectives. They, they would sue law enforcement officials looking into wrongdoing. You know, they would file complaints against deputies that were getting a little too close. Uh, they, they consider themselves a self-policing institution, CDU, and uh, they hire their own private detectives you know, mm-hmm. which they called escorts. Um, and, and largely the, you know, the local mountain cops tolerated that, you know, yeah. these are out of state kids. Um, we don't want to get sued by a thuggish, brutal kind of Roy Cohn esque program that could take us on. Um, and so they, I mean, Cedar just co-opted the town, co-opted everything. It, it's funny too. Like, you know, for instance, I, I ran away from Monarch twice, actually. I ran away after about a week there. I ran through the woods, and then I successfully ran about a year later. Um, and I remember thinking, like, well, if I run when, – when I when I did run, I was actually caught by staff. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, they called the police. And, you know, I'm a 14-year-old kid, and if I told the police, like, hey, I'm at this insane cult – like they are making us do all this weird shit. Like I, you know, I, I, they're not, I, my parents sent me here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, what they would do is they wouldn't investigate anything. I, I, I said, they would just send me right back there. Yeah. And that, that's the case with all these places. Like the police aren't there to like, you know, I can't, you can't call the police. If you, if you are beaten <laughs> yeah. at one of these programs, there's no way you can call the police. And if you do call the police, no one's going to fucking jail. You know what I mean? Like you have yeah. absolutely, you have, you have, um, less, less rights in one of these programs than you would in, in, you have uh, no rights. You have no in rights. Prison. Yeah. You, 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 rights. you said yeah. you, yeah, yeah, actually I can't. You're really stripped, you're of, stripped of all your you personal have. rights. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I have a question for you though. Did you get the option of like getting 5150? Cause usually, you know, if the cops picked you up, you know, in, in running Springs, yeah. You have a choice. You can go back to this tripped out treatment center that you're struggling to escape from, or you could go to either a juvenile detention center, or you could go to the, the hospital, you know, to get 5150 treatment. And a lot of kids opted off mountain because you can get access to a payphone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I was, I was caught by staff, so that, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but, but I for other kids, absolutely and, yeah. chosen fifty one fifty. Are you crazy? Yeah. yeah if, right. if you're ever, if you're ever in a situation like that, choose the second location, motherfucker. Do not yeah. go back yeah. to the original location because yeah. you know the, the future is unwritten. So you could, you could, who knows? Maybe you can escape from the nut house. Yeah. Um, but but no, it's 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 funny. Like the relationship that that the police have with these programs is so opposite from the relationship that the police initially both had with CDU. And had with Synanon in that yeah. they were they were really like you know there'd be these raids they'd come down on them, yeah. um, and then at the end by the 1990s I mean they were essentially functioning as like ancillary employees in some cases and, and like yeah. you said yeah like they they were very litigious um, you know you mentioned there's this one one uh, sheriff's deputy Charles Wyatt yeah. 
and you you post his logs here too and i mean some of these uh are sort of astounding i mean 220 on this in 2004 charles wyatt was investigating a rape he believed occurred but received no cooperation from the cdu staff you know, two CDU staff yeah. members told Charles Wyatt that CDU was not required to make reports to CPS or law enforcement, and they disagreed with mandatory reporting requirements. You know, yeah, those those were depositions that were taken for Daniel Ewan's case, so that they, they occurred after mm-hmm. uh, CDU was closed, and um, and Wyatt ended up uh, he's deceased, but he ended up a crime reporter. He had left the the sheriff's department, and he was writing for the Mountain News. Um, He's also responsible for um, bringing in a DOJ consultant in 2009 mm-hmm. to investigate the possibility of a serial killer, James Lee Crummel, and the other two yeah. missing kids, which I think was very misguided and um, has had a, a kind of a negative impact on um, wanting to investigate these cases. Um, well, let's properly. let's talk about these kids these kids really quickly. Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's, like you said, there's three of them, two mm-hmm. from the nineties, John Inman and Blake Persley. Yeah. And then from 2004, Daniel Yoon. Yeah. And so can you, can you, I mean, you know, runaways are pretty common yeah. at, or splitties are pretty yeah. common at these yeah. kind of places. Um, it's a sort of natural reaction. You get taken to somewhere that's, you think is insane. And you know, if you're a sane person, you want to leave there. Um, and you know, most of the time kids are caught in by somebody in some capacity. And again, like you said, either return there, return sometimes very rarely returned home. Uh, a lot of, most of the time returned to the facility. Um, but in these three cases, uh, none of these kids were ever found. Um, and like you said, you know, the, the cases were still open. I mean, can you, can you tell us the circumstances of these kids disappearing? Yeah. I mean, John, John Inman is the most mysterious. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, he, he just, you know, and there's a lot of what I should say before I even, you know, start talking about this is that there's nothing but conflicting accounts here on all of them and many, many discrepancies and nothing adds up. And especially with Daniel Ewan's case, um, I mean, I'm writing a follow-up now about it and I've been, you know, helping his parents coming up on five years and nothing makes sense. There's, yeah. a, there's like maybe a line or two in a deposition. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah, well, well that's possible. And then everything else is just kind of fantasy. Um, and you know, that's a, a strategy too. One of the agreements at CDU, which, uh, we have in a, it's an archived like rule book essentially. Um, and one of, one of them is no snitching. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the code of the streets is, you know, how they describe it there is, you know, no snitching. Mm -hmm. So by the way, that that's no snitching outside. You snitch to be, to be clear. Yeah. You are. Yes. You Uh, have to snitch inside. That's the, yes. It was the code of the streets. Don't snitch to, you know, outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can't really tell you, I know that, um, all, all three disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. John Inman, you know, he claimed he was just, you know, from the little we know, he was just, he wanted to get out and he ran. Yeah. Blake Persley um, had severe uh, developmental disabilities. 
yep. and a, a leg length discrepancy and walked with a limp and couldn't run. And yet somehow he outran adult staffers and disappeared into the night. Yet at the same time, from what I was told from my witness, he was actually being, he was at the middle school. Middle school kids were always monitored. So he yeah. was just en route from one building to another. And then he disappeared, this kid. Daniel, you and you, I, ask me anything. I have no idea. Uh, the missing persons report that we just obtained. Interestingly enough, the the deputy who was uh, clearly a, a little bored uh, identified Daniel Ewan as suspect number one, and the reporting party, a counselor, and his suspicious story. He's he's labeled a victim. So if that tells you anything about uh, if it sums up the relationship between the mountain cops and Sidu, I think that's yeah. it. Is like the you know the person who possibly lied to law enforcement as a victim. And the kid who's trying to escape institutional child abuse is uh, a suspect, suspect number one. Yeah, the title of your piece is, Are Police Stifling the Investigation into Three Teens Who Vanished from a Controversial Residential Treatment Facility? Yeah. And I hate the, like, I mean, I... I, I, think, I, didn't, I didn't come up with that title. <laughs> no, I don't Listen, mean I hate it. I'm yeah. saying, I mean, I think it's, you know, the, core, the, the crux of your piece is pretty obvious, which is yes, <laughs> at, yeah. at almost every turn from not just, you know, the, like, in the immediate aftermath of their disappearance and the, like, just immediate reporting, which, you know, we could talk about how long it took for any of that to actually happen in yeah. each of the cases, but then through, like, through the years following and then, you know, Afterwards, as reinvestigations or the cases were like, you know, allegedly tried to be like kind of reopened up, right? Yeah. I've never consulted on a police investigation before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I try to avoid police. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm, a, I'm an old Chicago punk rocker. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not, they're, they're not, they're not my friends. Yeah. So I did it. I, I happen to like Alicia Rosa, the detective. Um, I'm, I find her passion and her enthusiasm just um, such a stark difference between everything I've encountered with police in these, you know, cases. Well, and, she, and it's, you know. it's, it's sometimes it's such a, I don't, I don't, I, we, we, we talked about this before, but like when you have, even as an adult, when you have another adult being like, Oh my God, like right. that, w- that's insane. You're like, yeah. that's, it's a very validating thing to hear from an adult, especially someone in a position of authority. Absolutely. It was the first time all this work, all the repercussions that went along with this work, the cost of it, the emotional cost, the health cost, all of it felt worth it uh, consulting on this investigation. Mm-hmm. And then to see it fall apart, to get shut down, um, and then to see, you know, Daniel Ewan's parents hopeful again and then just crushed again by um, an impenetrable amateurish sheriff's department. Uh, I'm, not, I'm still reeling from it. I don't, uh, none of it makes any sense to me. And, and at the same time, it really kind of does make sense. Just knowing that you have a, a, a police department that just cannot, for whatever reason, admit its errors. And in order to solve these cases, the sheriff's department has to admit its own wrongdoing and its limitations and its endless failures with CDU. 
so you have, you know, you have an institution that, I mean, it's a, it's just huge, huge sheriff's department and yeah. all they want to do is make sure they want to ensure their reputation is as intact as possible. You can't do it in these cases. So you got to bury them. And where do you bury them? You bury them in the homicide department where they're absolutely, I mean, there's no evidence that these are even homicides. Um, why are they there? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was sort of my, my next question there is why are they in the homicide department? Because that's where you can bury a, a, a case. It's yeah. where you can make it cold. There's a huge difference between a cold case and an open case. Yeah. You can, you can make it cold by claiming there's a lack of evidence. You could put it in a drawer. You can give it an H number, which means it's, it's blocked. From my understanding, it's blocked from outside divisions working on it. And that's it, you know? And, uh, and there you go. So you can take it from a missing persons detective and, uh, and lock it away in an elite unit. That's always overworked. Anyway, you can make sure that it's not prioritized mm-hmm. and you can call it a day. And that's, because- that's where we're at now with these three seated cases. So, you know, unless people are vocal enough and the pressure is so overwhelming, um, they're going to get away with it. And they are, um, so far. And that's, and I, I was, I'm saying this not as some sort of conspiratorial guy, you know, yeah. just kind of ripped my hair out here. I'm, I'm speaking as someone who was asked to assist in an investigation and then watch that investigation completely collapse. Well, that that's what's sort of so astounding about it is that like, you know, two of these cases are from 1993 and 1994. Right. To 2021 is when you start consulting on it. Yep. You know, and obviously, I mean, from from what you seem to describe, this detective, you know, noticed that these three kids disappeared from the same place. She's looking into it. She she she, you know, is is bringing in outside consultants to actually help and and really do a proper job on this for the first time. Yeah, she had Team Adam approved. She got approval for an outside agency that is reputable to do this, not just some guy, you know, like. And then it's 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 yanked from her and then shunted off to a drawer where it cannot be worked on. Yeah. And then she's forbidden from speaking to the press and speaking to you, even and, yes, as, as a person. That's right. And admonished for requesting the cases back when it became clear they were not being prioritized. She she asked for them back. And you know, I, I was just texting with her a couple of days ago because I, I wanted, you know, the missing persons report that we got for Daniel Ewan. Um, I wanted to know how much was redacted mm-hmm. versus, you know, um, what she saw. And, you know, she had to remind me, she doesn't have this stuff. You know, it's just, it was, it was all, all her files are now in a different, you know, they're down the mountain. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. At the end of the day, like what we're talking about here is not like it's, it's, it's three missing. I mean, in some cases for multiple, for three decades missing. Yeah. Missing kids, uh, you know, possibly dead, very possibly dead, um, that there's just like was absolutely, I mean, that is just like, it's, it's, it's sort of extraordinary to think about that. Like, you know, three, three very possible deaths, um, and however that might've occurred or, you know, missing yeah. whatever, um, from, from a single place just totally, not looked on. And, and, you know, you mentioned earlier the call logs to the sheriff's department. I mean, there's almost a thousand 
calls about Sidhu, like you and, said. From, well, from like, that's in eight years. That's exactly. I mean, they won't. They won't even give up the ones before '97. I know. And and something else you, you mentioned in the article is like, yeah, there's a thousand calls from '97 to 2005, yeah. and before that, uh, the sheriff's department is claiming that they actually have they have no records due to a system switch. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, software upgrade. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't understand what would happen. So that all the records are gone. I said, well, I so think if it's you committed piece, a crime, you know, it's because they keep all their records in an iPhone, and they just you know that's it's yeah just they like just got lost. Yeah, got lost. Yeah, got lost. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, they can't get I, it. I mean, it, it's it's it's, it's sort bullshit. Of, by the way, I mean it's all bullshit because when I was consulting on the case, I was looking at you know re- reports from from earlier than '97. So why can't you say you know you know this is public I, information. I mean, I guess just from my perspective, like, you know, there is a, quote, conspiracy going on here. And I'm not saying it's like a conspiracy where, like, children are being abducted and, you know, their yeah. adrenochrome is being taken out or whatever. No, it's like there is there is a group of people who, uh, at the very least, uh, want to cover up the fact that they essentially bungled any sort of investigation, whether it's a search and rescue operation or an actual like investigation into like a well, dad. they didn't search. They didn't search for John Inman, and they didn't search yeah. for Daniel Ewan. And Daniel Ewan's parents um, had to uh, threaten to complain, you know, uh, file a misconduct complaint to allegedly have the sheriff's department do an area check. And then I asked Wayne Ewan, well. Do you have any proof that they actually did it weeks later? And he said, no. So this is all happening. They're in Jersey. Their kid goes missing 3,000 miles away. Sidhu uh, immediately uh, instructed the parents to hire one of their escorts, Keith Raymond, um, to search for Daniel. So on top of their own tuition costs, now they're paying for Sidhu. They initiated the runaway services agreement for Sidhu. Bill Lane had a hand in this too. I mean, this is kind of his thing, you know, where yeah. it's an, this additional fee. So you're paying, I mean, it's a huge, huge conflict of interest, but his parents are frantic. They're desperate. They don't understand what's happening. They're very confused. So they, they do that. And they, and Keith Raymond comes on the scene with his wife. They claim to look for Daniel. They can't find him on campus. Next thing you know, he's conveniently in San Diego. There's sightings. They claim that there's, uh, blood bloodhounds that they brought to the San Diego Park. They're picking up a scent. I know that's fucking fake. Well, I mean, they do the, not not only that, but then um, he reappears in two thousand late two thousand eighteen two thousand nineteen. Not long after, not longer uh, after I, I was introduced to the UNs, uh, Keith Raymond, who's had no uh, apparently any uh, dialogue with the UNs for over a decade, he reappears. He says he's sickly he's trying to understand this case it's on his mind he wants for any he wants to know if there's been any leads in the last decade plus next thing you know weeks later this do-gooder with no agenda uh happens to get a voicemail it's daniel no 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 i'm sorry this is where it gets very tricky he claimed at first that the voicemail came from like an anonymous caller saying daniel's alive he doesn't want to be found in the Missing persons report. He changes that to. Uh, there's a it's a supplemental report in 2019 that was added. Uh, he's interviewed by um, a reporting officer, and he claims it was a psychic that called Keith Raymond, saying Daniel's alive. And then he uh, Raymond further amends that in a podcast we did a year later, and he says it's Daniel himself. Nevertheless, Raymond goes back to the San Diego Park, 
And wouldn't you know, he claims like five minutes being in the park. He speaks to someone who had just seen Daniel Ewan. This gets picked up by media. It becomes a sort of where's at risk Waldo for San Diego. Uh, all the local uh, ABC news is covering this. It gets, it, it really just becomes mainstream. And at this point, I mean, you have, um, I think it was a, uh, the, the director of communications for, for Nick Mech, um, you know, the national, the, whatever it's the, the, the main missing persons organization. Yeah. Uh, she does a, a segment on, uh, on court TV, which is a Daniel Ewan friendly tabloidy, uh, outlet. Yeah. Yes. I'm familiar with court TV. Yeah, no, I know you are. No, no, I'm no, no, I know you are. I'm saying that it's a very, but it's Daniel. It's like Daniel oh, Ewan centric. Yeah. They do gotcha, so many yes. segments on Daniel Ewan. So she appears, the director of communications and she, you, you know, it was a moment where finally someone could challenge this really dubious decades long sort of sightings of this guy. And she leans into it and, you know, and she says, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, there, you know, we, we believe he was there and after Sidhu, you know, she, she, uh, she kind of reinforces Ray, Keith Raymond's claims that maybe now he's alive still and has a family in San Diego. I just, so yeah. what's happened is we've just become this, the, the story of Daniel Ewan is now, it's so complicated because his parents believe he's in San Diego. Um, yeah. and they've been, they've been led to believe this. Yeah. And it's also given, um, this has helped, um, the sheriff's department not investigate. I mean, even in the missing persons report in the original one, 2004, they twice, the deputy twice mentions that the parents have hired, um, a private detective. Yeah. Why bother? You know, why bother looking into a CDU case if the parents have, or uh, they're doing their own thing. Uh, and if people are claiming he's alive, even better. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I, I get, I mean, from my perspective, obviously I know less about this than you. It's like that, that, that seems unlikely uh, to me that he would, he would be in San Diego with the family and just have been totally under the radar this entire time. It, it, I mean, obviously, you know, this goes without saying. Actually, I'm going to say it, but the, the detective's fucking lying. You know, like the, these, like the, that is that is that is the. To me, that's a huge crock of shit. Do you mean um, Keith Raymond? I mean, well, Keith, yeah, Raymond, Keith Raymond is a serial, yeah. serial liar. I can say that, yeah, of course, without yeah. question. I mean, he he he. His, the, everything he said to me, everything he's said in, uh, under oath in the Daniel Ewan case is is questionable. He gets numbers wrong all the time. Um, and also he's a CDU employee and every time we tried to press him, he became, you know, he claimed he was very sickly. He would, he didn't even show up when the UNs flew out to San Diego in 2019 to, uh, to follow up on his leads with him. Uh, and then when we were doing the lost kids podcast, he, he said he was, he was basically dying and he couldn't even talk to us. Yeah. So, um, you know, detective Rosa, when she was working the investigation, she did track him down and that was, you know, that, that was a. Um, a rare moment where someone could finally press Raymond. And, yeah. You know, what do you is know? He, the case is gone. He, he's still alive. As far as I know. Yeah. Cause he was dying when you did that podcast. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was dying a also while ago. The, yeah, he's, yeah. he's just been, that's a, that, I guess in the, by those metrics, I'm dying. Right now. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of what's so heartbreaking about this because you know I've heard I've heard interviews with the UNs, um, and I you know I can't imagine the feeling of like you know sending your kid to this place that turns out to be a, a pretty different place than than maybe even somebody with not the rosiest goggles might yeah. might see it as, uh, and then your kid disappearing, and then every single person who should help you be helping you with this, you know, from the sheriffs to the staff at the school to the private detective yeah. that they have you hire is fucking lying to you and misleading you and, and pointing exploiting, you every, you. exploiting you, right? Yeah. And ripping you off for fucking money yeah. um, while your kid is somewhere, I, mean, I don't know where, you know? But, and he was only there for less than two weeks. So yes, we're not yeah, talking about yeah. my 16 months or whatever. I mean, he he was there for no time at all. And throughout that time, he was, uh, from everything I know, uh, profoundly traumatized and, uh, and silent, essentially. Mm-hmm. He, he was not, doesn't appear he was making a lot of friends. I think for me, what really helped was making friends. And yeah. Um, also, I, I kind of viewed CDU as the West Campus of my public high school because there were just so many fucking kids from Chicagoland. And really, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, like I had a friend who knew my, who saw my punk band at Fireside Bowl or wherever it was, or you know, some venue. So like, mm-hmm. it was we were all there together, um, and that that profoundly changed um, my own enrollment and uh, confinement. Um, was friends. And I don't think Daniel was able to, to get that luxury. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then he, and then he vanished. And then, uh, I mean, what, what's really, I've been going through these, you know, the depositions for years now and, and it's, you know, what, what account, what the count, the narrative, the counselor told the, the, uh, the deputy who responded to the call is so different than the narratives, you know, that we, we learned about the, you know, the circumstances, alleged circumstances from testimony. And it really hasn't really been, it hasn't been made public yet. Um, yeah. most of it, but the narratives are crazy. I mean, one, one kid, uh, th- well, let me back up the narrative that the, the counselor, Stephen Kravchuk told the deputy was that, uh, Daniel walked off to buy cigarettes. That was it. He just kind of huffily left to get some smokes and that was taken as fact. So in the missing persons report, it says that the probable destinations, quote unquote, probable destinations were a gas station or arrow bear, um, a neighboring town. Uh, a lot of questions with that one. One, the first thing is Daniel had never been in the running Springs before. He'd never been in the San Bernardino mountains. He doesn't know where the fuck the town is. Exactly. Like his entire Perspective is CD's facility. Um, cigarettes were forbidden. Was it? it was, I'm sure it was like that at Monarch too. Yeah, of course you, you can't smoke. leave to go buy a cigarette. I mean, that's it's, yeah. it's. I was I was at Monarch in 2004. Yeah, same we yeah. same program as CD. Yeah. We were not allowed to go buy. You know what I would do is I would roll up toilet paper in the fucking uh, porta potty outside yeah. the classroom and I would pretend to smoke cigarettes. Uh, yeah, I think I did that too. Yeah, you were definitely not allowed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were definitely not allowed to. Uh, no, I mean that's 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 absurd. That's like me saying I'm going to Mars or something. If right, that's ex- that's exactly what I was just going to Mars. So yeah, uh, there was there was no 
what's over follow up because the deputy just, you know, it's Sunday morning, didn't want to go to see you anyway, probably. And, you know, he made, he took the report, moved on. Um, none of that made any sense. They also didn't check. So it's, you know, they, all these probable destinations weren't actually investigated. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, what's the point of fucking taking them? Right. So, well, I mean, and again, I mean, what's the point of even taking this report if Daniel Ewan is listed as the suspect and the reporting party yeah. is the victim? So the, the, um, the narratives that are coming from, you know, the, the in-house narratives that are being pulled based off depositions in the civil case that the Ewans launched against CDU. Um, and at the time that, that, they, that this was launched, um, all the San Diego sightings had already emerged. So, you know, they kind of weren't maybe asking the right questions. The lawyers were concluding things that, for me, make me want to, you know, bang my head against the wall. Yeah. Nevertheless, there are these dueling narratives about what happened to Daniel. One guy says he was, you know, um, sweeping next to him uh, in the backside of campus. It's mountain perched. So it's just, yeah. you know, it's cliffside. You know, here's your main lodge. Here's the mountain. They're sweeping in the back of the campus and Daniel disappears, which, you know, short of wrapping yourself in an invisibility cloak and jumping on a helicopter, probably unlikely. And yet that's it. So there's another version of the yeah. escape narrative. Then there's another one that says um, at the time of his disappearance, Daniel was being monitored um, 24-7 by it by an escort, another resident because he was, yeah. or he was, he was non-complying with everything. So they had him being monitored all the time. That, so they would a, do that to kids of mine too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they did. So in a, in a free moment, uh, where he was unmonitored, uh, Daniel bolted and another kid saw him fleeing, tackled him and he was restrained by a kid until a staffer could bring him you know, to the dorms, he hauled him off to the dorms for some indefinite amount of time. And then that the kid who restrained him testified, uh, that he saw Daniel that day, like throughout that Sunday, if even half accurate, that would have meant the deputy was taking down his report for a runaway juvenile with the runaway juvenile still on campus. Um, that also, raises a number of other questions about restraint because I don't know how it was at Monarch, but kids weren't really supposed to be restrained, especially the, uh, the high school aged kids. Like they, 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 they you know, CDU prided itself on not doing, you know, restraint. They did, they did restraint at Monarch. Yeah. Did they? Yeah. But there were, there just wasn't really like that many kids getting them. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. But were kids restraining other kids? No, you were de- no, definitely right. you were. Actually, I did see that happen once with this kid Daryl, but it wasn't supposed to happen. Wasn't that supposed was to, yeah, right. So it's, yeah. it was kind of just a kid got beat up. Yeah, well, it's a little different than you know. Yeah, you know some uh, some random teens seeing Daniel fleeing and feeling like he needed to do something, and he restrained. Yeah. Him. So, you know, all these things conflict. They make very little sense. Um, and no one followed up on them. You know, no one put anyone under polygraph, not like polygraphs really can amount to much, but still like there was no official investigation or looking mm-hmm. into false narratives or any of this stuff. Um, really until Detective Rosa launched these cases 
And as soon as she started doing that, you know, you know the rest. Yeah. In so many ways, I think your piece in LA Magazine mirrors some of, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Brace, but I'm going to speak for you, or not for you, but at you, or describe you, maybe. I don't know. know, We'll see. You have my permission to do all three. But I think that your piece um, in LA Magazine, you know, kind of serving as this culmination in so many ways of this, you know, your own personal investigation, your curiosity, as you, you know, you put it, at your own experience, and of course, then, how that you know, intersex dovetails met in the middle with the the disappearance and the cover-up of these kids yeah. um, from these CDU facilities. And I think, you know, for Brace, like, something that we talked about off-air a lot was the kind of lack of, you know, as much as you're kind of going into these investigations and kind of putting yourself in the middle of it and how that can, you know, like you say, come with, you know, it's, its own baggage in a lot of ways, right? Um, that the idea of like closure from any of this, I think is a little bit mm-hmm. too uh, Hallmarkian, if I yeah. may, that like something like this can serve as a kind of closure. I mean, at the end of it, you say like, there's nothing to be done and I can't do this alone. Right. You know, and I think that that um, serves as a good kind of, uh, you know, kind of guiding light a little bit, but I'm wondering like how you feel at the end of all of this, you know, kind of throwing yourself in the middle of it and you know, what, what's come from it. Uh, that's an excellent question. And I don't know if I can answer that in any intelligent way. I'm, I believe that these are solvable cases and I believe it's going to take, uh, you know, you guys, <laughs> people that care um, and are outside of law enforcement to uh, make actual breakthroughs, serious developments that could then push law enforcement to act. Yeah, but it's going to take it's going to take us. I mean that that's that's kind of it, um, and it it's possible. Um, so unless unless we if we don't care, yeah, they're just, it's just going to be sitting in a drawer in San Bernardino County for the rest of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, the piece is incredible. We'll we'll Thank you. you know link link to it obviously, and your other pieces on Medium. Um, it's I just mean, I, I think I think your you know this, that last episode we were talking to trying to talk to Patrick that was that was incredible. Mm. I mean, that was really. I just wanted to well, you know. Give my, you guys my, a hug. Actually, I want to be in that car uh, with you on the stakeout. You know, it was well, really, we had talked. We had talked. I think like the day before. We were talking. No, you were texting while you were there. You sent me that yeah, crazy, yeah, 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 CED. You know. Uh, oh yes. Yeah. The, the well, photo. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, I gotta tell you know for 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 listeners, you know, behind the behind the curtain, David was a was a big help not only oh, just in yeah. in in information wise, but also just like talking about that stuff because it's it's um. Yeah, it can be it can be hard to like to to have the language for it. Um, you you but, had the language, uh, and that voicemail was. I mean, that was. I, I've well, wanted I, so many times yeah, to I say was, that. I was gonna say, like, yeah. have you have you you know you have you spoken to anybody who was there 
like who was who oh was, I, was, I certainly have no one remembers me i mean i mean the kids some of the kids remember me but like yeah, staff yeah. Who, who the fuck is this guy yeah. um i mean I, I spoke with mel's widow i mean i've really i've gotten i've gotten to the top um yeah bill lane was supposed to he died in 2018 2019 he blew me off and he took my questions and he sent them to lon woodbury who's you know uh, kind of a Woodbury a reports fig- yeah a notorious figure in the so-called troubled teen industry all of our pictures not all of our but several of our pictures of Patrick comes from from the Woodbury yeah. website yeah I know yeah I remember seeing that too when you were posting things um and they did a, a kind of like Trump Hannity thing you know, the two of them with my questions um uh any anyway I mean yeah I've spoken for me though um you know uh you said something interesting in, in, you know, in that last episode where you kind of, kind of wanted to humiliate Patrick a little bit. Yeah. I understand that. I totally understand that. Um, I don't know if it would work and I don't know if that's my, my style, you know, yeah, when, when yeah. I try to interview these people, um, I'm not trying to do a, a gotcha they're already got, I mean, like I, I really want to understand extremism. I want to understand yeah. how extremism can get infected in uh, the educational system, the American educational system. I'm, I'm yeah. fascinated by this. So I'm more fascinated by like, you know, why is Bill Lane and associates at a vendor's table or um, why, why do they believe that this was an alternative education? What made them think this way? Um, and I, so that's the fascination. That's the curiosity. And the other, but the anger for me is actually more at state agencies. So, yeah, you know, when I'm going through thousands of pages from California Department of Social Services and their substantiating abuse allegations, and then I go to their office and I say, I would like to speak with the person, the licensing, you know, uh, evaluator who is making these reports, and I'm told. Oh, they don't know anything about CDU. And then I look at the name of the person that was writing those reports, and it's the same person yeah. that's overseeing the Riverside office. So then I try and contact that person, and she doesn't speak with the public. So it, there's that's my rage is is with you know this the state institutions that were aware of these abuses and allowing them to occur and coddling yeah. them and tolerating them. Um, so that's my focus, uh, really. So I was maybe I the, was... the worst person to end up consulting on a police investigation and then watches it, <laughs> you know, fell apart because now I'm, you know, I'm going to continue look, looking into that uh, law enforcement agency. But maybe that's actually the, the reason why you were the best person to be involved yeah. in the end. I will maybe. say. It depend, yeah. depends on who is uh, listening, <laughs> you know. Well, certainly for the victims, I think you're definitely the best person to be consulting on something like that. Well, I thank you very much for that. I, I really appreciate this. And I appreciate your time and your kindness. I, I don't often get a lot of kindness uh, when I'm doing this stuff. Well, so. I'm glad. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been, yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you said you were working on a follow-up to, uh, to this piece about the missing persons report. Yeah, I'm working... Yeah, I have that going on. It's a, uh, it's it's longer than I expected, and it's it's specifically about Daniel Ewan's case. Um, yeah, I don't know when that's going to be out. Um, 
he went missing in February. So we're coming in 2004 and he was uh, shipped off in late January, f- five years after me. So yeah. we're, we're hitting some, uh, some real, some real anniversaries. Um, so maybe it'll coincide the piece with that. And I have a, a long piece that um, is on medium that I haven't posted yet about obtaining the CDU archive. Yeah, you've told me that story. So oh, that's, that's a story for another yeah. day. But uh, yeah, that's I, I, yeah, it's a crazy, it's a wild story, though. It's a wild story. I did never, I never actually expected this to become essentially a part-time job. You know, it was the yeah. running my anger was supposed to be a one-off, and then I, I've moved on, and and I keep they keep pulling me back in. Um, <laughs> so I'll well, I'll keep you know I'll keep going. Di- David, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to link to all that stuff uh, in the uh, in the episode description here, and I highly recommend you guys check it out. There's a lot of stuff in the LA Mag article we didn't even get to. Um, there's then that that I got to tell you um, that running my anger piece. You know, if 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 that I, I would just say that is like essential reading for 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 thank anybody you. interested so in this much, topic thank whatsoever. Uh, it's really good, um, and David. You know, it's been a pleasure and, uh, and we'll talk soon. Definitely. Thanks guys. It was great to see you. Well, we'll definitely have links to all of David's pieces in the show notes. And if you guys haven't checked out our series, The Game, The Story of Synanon, we're going to link to that as well because it's all available for free now. Um, We've got a link to all the episodes and all of that will provide uh, more context for a lot of the stuff we were talking about here today. Well, with that, I am Brace. I'm Liz. We are, of course, as always, joined by producer Young Chomsky. And this has been True Nine. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 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 B